Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. Focusing on pharmacy management and ownership, the PBCN podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show and our best of episodes to round 2019 out. If you haven't already, you should really head back to the previous episode and listen to all the great snippets of advice from each of our episodes, which covered shows 12 to 23. We've had such amazing engagement and feedback on the show since it launched in 2018. And as it continues to grow with this last episode of the year, it makes 37 shows. We've also had some fantastic guests on the show who have shared some amazing stories, experiences, insights, and advice with us. And I know that everybody who listens is truly grateful that they found some time in their busy schedules to come on the show and share with us. As I mentioned in the last episode, Each show has kicked off with a short snippet from a guest, a little bit of an interesting part of the conversation for you to look forward to, give you an idea of what's coming up in the show. And so we thought that it'd be a good idea to go back through all the episodes for 2019 and pull out the full question and full answer for you and pull them together into some more best of episodes. So that's what we've created for you to round out 2019. And we've done it across two episodes full of short and sharp advice from each of our guests. Remember, that at the end of 2018, we also did a best of episode covering the first 10 episodes. And last episode, we covered off the best bits from shows 12 to 23. As such, here's the best bits from episodes 24 to 35. In episode 24, Aaron D'Souza, pharmacist and general manager of Guild Digital and Pharmacy Click and Collect, explained the benefits of integrating digital health into community pharmacies. Just recapping there, you spoke about ease of information, automation of scripts, robotics, and the My Health record. Lots of opportunities for community pharmacies to embrace digital. What about at the other end of the spectrum? Can you paint a picture of what happens if community pharmacies don't embrace this change? I'm a musician um, uh, back, back uh, back in the day, and my music teacher, Ms. Buchanan, she said one thing to me. She said, resisting change is like holding your breath. If you succeed, you die. And it, it has resonated with me. Now, I'm not here saying that we must have revolution. No, the best type of change, the best type is punctuated equilibrium change, change which happens as part of the everyday that we roll into change, not stay the same, but we roll into the change. And as new technologies come through, we accelerate the change and then we we layer it on top of what we currently do. Now, the critical thing about that is a concept of adaption. Now, you can't be adapting to what customers want if you close your mind to the external environment. So if you do that, if you don't, if you close your mind off because it's all too hard to your external environment and what customers are wanting and demanding now, you're going to be left behind because at the end of the day, customers will make the choice that they want. They will choose businesses that make their lives easy, that give them easy options. And just being a personality, just having a bond and a love with your customers, it's not enough anymore. 
sadly, it's not enough anymore. Customers want more. They want to see the world revolve around them. And those businesses that are willing to do that and move a little bit further to being customer-centric, they're the ones who, who, uh, who are embracing change and they're the ones who will ultimately see customers come to them. And as I said right at the start, customers bring sales, sales fix everything. Something, something to think about there. Those pharmacies who resist change, well, they, they may be left behind. In episode 25, Dr. Ross Siyuki, Professor and Chair of the Department of Pharmacology, Faculty of Medicine and Dentistry at the University of Alberta, discussed the history and current situation of full scope of practice in Canada and the benefits and challenges for the Australian sector. A lot of pharmacies are continually looking for ways to change for the better. You spoke there about some benefits that patients can expect from pharmacists, but what are some of the benefits on offer for the pharmacies as a business if they're looking to expand their offerings into full scope? Probably the biggest thing is that uh, as a pharmacist, uh, it's a much, much, much more fulfilling practice. Uh, you can work independently, and you can help people. Uh, and and if you think back to, you know, why did you become a pharmacist? Uh, you probably didn't become a pharmacist to count pills, I'll bet. Uh, and and what, what the feedback that I get uh, is that patients just absolutely love this. And, uh, you know, that's fantastic for uh, for your own job satisfaction and i've had comments from pharmacists saying things like this i've forgotten but this is why i became a pharmacist to to uh, to provide a full scope of practice um and that's what being a pharmacist is all about and uh you know uh, i think that that uh people will never go back and in fact we've had it's interesting situations where we have trained pharmacists to in prescribing and and disease management and cardiology, and then they've moved back home to another jurisdiction where they can't practice to their full scope. Uh, for example, they moved to another province, and they can't order lab tests, they can't prescribe, and they can't tell the government for for those services. And that's got and you know they're telling me, oh, this is awful because I've tasted it before. <laughs> and so, you know, there's a few people where that's, that's been the situation. And uh, it really goes to show you that uh, once you start doing it, practicing in that fashion, um, that's what you want. And you will never want to go back uh, again. In episode 26, Guy Lambert, head of growth at Mentor Loop, spoke about mentoring programs and why it makes good personal and also business sense. The Guild recently launched the Guild Mentor Platform, which utilizes the Mentor Loop software. Can you tell us a little bit about Mentor Loop and how it works? We are an Australian based uh, software company. We have been running for three or four years now, and we really started off with the mission. Uh, we wanted to make mentoring more mainstream. It's something we often say. We also believe that the right connection really can change your life. We've sort of all had people in our lives that have had you know, significant influence either kind of personally or professionally. So we wanted to be able to help organisations offer mentoring to as many people as, as possible. Um, for participants in the program, we think about you know, mentees or mentors you know, in the Guild mentoring program. Um, by the very nature of the fact that the person is the platform, 
they're giving me permission to reach out and ask for help. And that's really powerful. I don't think that can be underestimated. Um, I'm sure we've all got plenty of people in our workplaces who we would perhaps like to reach out to. We see them in the kitchen, but for whatever reason, we don't feel like there's that, that culture of, of mentoring, really, that culture of learning and development, being able to ask for help. Um, but by formalising, using a platform like MentorLoop, if I see that person in there, I know I can actually reach out to them. Um, we can also scale a mentoring program over longer distances. So the Guild program is obviously Australia-wide. So using a software tool means I can connect with someone in, you know, between Brisbane and Perth, for instance, uh, and we can create those long-lasting relationships at scale. We can use the tool to build out uh, a personal advisory board. So we talk about a personal advisory board, like I said, being sort of two or three people I'm, I've got there that I can reach out to at any point in time I need to. We can set that up in the platform and I've got that place to, to maintain and manage that relationship. I can track my goals, communicate uh, and keep all my information there in one place and really have that, that mentoring hub to go to. In episode 27, Shelley Thompson, founder of Experience 360, discussed why we should be striving for excellent customer experience, the opportunity for pharmacies and what will happen if we don't embrace the change. When you talk about customer-centred there, you, you mentioned things like people need to understand it and it's all about building loyalty and better experiences. Those words all make sense to me, but is there anything that you would add to clearly define it to those on the front line talking to customers day in, day out, no matter what their role is in the pharmacy, and they're just trying to do their best? I think the word patient-centred, customer-centred, consumer-centred, you know, person-centred, it's all bandied around a lot. Uh, And it's a really good point, Daniel, is that, you know, really it is putting the customer at the centre of everything you do. Uh, And I think it's as simple as that. But if you want, you know, just from a definition perspective, I think I would, you know, go for an Australian definition and I'd go back to the Australian Commission for Safety and Quality in Healthcare who say that customer-centred or person-centred care is respectful of and responsive to the preferences and needs and values of patients and consumers. So I think from a pharmacy perspective, understanding that not every customer is the same, that different customers have different preferences, different needs and value in their service experience means different things to different people. So just recognising that each person is an individual and that you do need to ask them perhaps what it is they want from their experience, not just assume. So I think, you know, just, and for the frontline people, uh, there are some key dimensions and behaviours, you know, and even for managers uh, working with their staff on the frontline, you know, you need to just recognise the behaviours of things like respect, uh, emotional support. Uh, So, you know, not just being transactional, in the way you approach your service experience, uh, actually providing some emotional support, you know, some quiet time, some privacy, uh, physical comfort, you know, or information and communication need to have a little bit of a conversation uh, and that continuity of care transition from pharmacy to hospital to outpatient again, those sorts of things, just really supporting patients to go through that. And so I think it's two-way conversations. It's asking rather than telling. It's listening a lot rather than talking and really asking questions as well as providing information for pharmacy. So just a little bit of a, I don't know, a little little bit of a change in the dynamic between the relationship of the professional and uh, and the customer. 
In episode 28, Brad Butt, 2019 Australian Patients Association Most Outstanding Pharmacist of the Year. So you, you see an opportunity to fill a service gap and, and you notice a, a sizable need. So you've identified that need for the service. How did you develop a plan around what were the next steps? You mentioned that the referrals just started to come in. Did you just let that run organically and see where it went or did you really go out and try and push for networks and, and build contacts? In the interim, it was it was more organic growth we just sort of let it do its thing and we obviously had connection just with the one urologist and at that point in time and and there was enough work at that point in time we I employed three pharmacists so there's myself and and two others and um it, it wasn't feasible for me to be doing too much more than you know a patient a week or or maybe two patients a week it's quite an onerous process the consult takes about an hour. You have to go through a lot, and then you've got notes to take and reports to send back to the doctors and the uh, to the GP, the urologist, or whoever else was involved in that patient's care. So it was quite onerous. And we, in the very early stages, we didn't have the 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 capability, if that makes sense, to to do those processes easily. So I mean, we've got Guild Care now, which is great. So we use Guild Care for a lot of our referral letters and to keep notes about the patients so that when the patient comes back in, you're not caught like a deer in the headlights thinking, good God, I can't remember what your story was. Uh, so you've got something to refer back to. And it's, that's been one of the critical, one of the critical points for me was not so much learning the, the content or, you know, making the connections. It was about learning as a pharmacist how to create a record and to take notes and to write a referral letter because if you're working in a medical space, that's the expectation. As a pharmacist, you you know, you spend a lot of time talking to people and you might record some clinical interventions off the back of that. But the difference between recording a few clinical interventions and writing a referral letter um, of a medical standard back to a referring prescriber or to an allied health practitioner. That was a real learning curve for me. And back in the early days, we didn't have the facility to to do that easily. So we let it grow very organically for a few years until I had another young pharmacist, Manaf, um, who is um, working in the government now, which is a crying shame because he's worth more than that. But um, he's He's working in the government and, and God bless him, he's doing a good job there and representing pharmacy well. So Manaf and myself were probably the, the two initial uh, guys um, that, that, that started work in the space and um, Manaf helped me carry that load of additional work that was coming through the pharmacy because we're, we're a busy pharmacy. Uh, we've got a lot of foot traffic and um, the additional work was nice to have, but we, you know, we were at that point where we could, ha- we could do without it. So... Manaf was really good support for me and we shared the workload and made sure that we were both getting upskilled and educated to offer the service. And um, organically over the years, we've grown to to have the six pharmacists in the shop now, uh, three males, three females. And you might say that, that that doesn't particularly matter, but I think in men's health, there is an aspect of it where it's nice for the chap to deal with the male. So it has been somewhat of a priority for me to get the blokes upskilled so that they can have the conversation. That said, I've got... Uh, a couple of pharmacists that, that are female that are able to have the conversation if the wheels fall off the bus and there's none of the, the men's health pharmacists here, they, they are actually able to deliver the service, but, but you know they'll probably end up deferring back to the, to the male pharmacist to do it. So I think we've had, um, we've probably got a dozen, a dozen blokes, um, men that, male pharmacists that have come through 
um, Cool and Cot Pharmacy spent time with myself and and Tim. Tim's the, the other male pharmacist that that delivers the mental service. Um, but, so those those other young pharmacists have come through and developed an understanding as to what we do, so they can implement that service into their practice wherever they might be as well, be it Wagga or Forbes or Orange or, or wherever it might be. So we've sort of grown in that respect as well. But it, I guess the point of all this is that we didn't go out health leather to start with because we knew that we needed to have the foundations right. I think we identified at an early point in time that there was a need for it, but it was about being well prepared before we launched into it, you know, um, boots and all to deliver the service because going in green on something and, and making a mess of it early can be very detrimental to the rollout um, and to the future success of the program. Um, so we were very cognizant of that in the early days, which has now allowed us to upskill both ourselves but others. Um, and you know, we now work with GPs that have helped upskill so that they're more um, capable to, to deliver a high-quality service to their men that have got erectile issues or prostate issues. In episode 29, Brian Walker, founder and CEO of Retail Doctor Group, discussed his perspective on pharmacy retailing in Australia, as well as the opportunities and challenges facing community pharmacies. So some great opportunities and some challenges along the way. Independent community pharmacies are like most small businesses, though. They get pulled in lots of different directions across things like customer service and staff and legal and marketing and finance, etc. And there's there's lots of experts focusing on each area and telling them what they should be doing in that area of expertise. So it can be somewhat overwhelming when they so often have limited resources to address the challenges or take advantage of the opportunities. But from your perspective, where do you think independent community pharmacists should focus their endeavours for the greatest gain at the moment? Great question, and it's so true that that occurs. One of the first fundamentals for pharmacists is to sit back for a moment and look at their business and say, would I buy my business? Take the investor perspective and say, would I buy my business? Have I got a good, unique point of difference? Am I really known for something? Is my product mix consistent with my primary demographics? If I'm in a primary demographic of, say, high birth rates or, or aging population, what, uh, what is that demographic and what is my retail offer and my point of difference? What is my customer relationship like? Am I sending out information to my customers? Do I know my top 150 customers or 100 customers? Am I confident that my salespeople and my people on the floor are giving great service? Am I understanding that they understand products? Am I making sure that my fundamental offer is as good as it can be? And I think we start there. We start by building on what we have, really continuing with path of differentiation. We we can't just be, you know, in the suburbs or anywhere really having an undifferentiated script-driven business with low sales return for retail, because ultimately we think that's going to be very challenged. The point about resourcing is a good one as well. You know, for example, we would say that um, a small business should be thinking somewhere between five to 10 hours a week on its social media and website activity. It should be spending probably at least 30 minutes per employee 
per week on coaching and upskill and training them. So there's two examples of investing both in the, the, the online digital space and, and investing in our people. And we know, for example, that on average, the average Australian spends three and a half hours a day on their smartphone or uh, iPhone, smartphone, so forth. We also know that online research is, um, depending on the, the ticket item, anywhere up to 80 to 85% influencing a, a purchase. Now, that will be slightly less in pharmacies, but we've got all these consumers shopping us differently now. And interestingly, that's predominantly, but not exclusively the domain of younger and middle-aged people. We also see older people going online and searching and so forth. So it means that our staff need to be better trained than ever before, more knowledgeable than ever before, have congruent retail mix of product to their point of difference, and be able to be solution providers while still building reputation and building um, community. And of course, we know how trusted pharmacists are. Building on that trust comes by the human relationship. Um, and so, you know, I'd, I would be zeroing in on those core areas. Point of difference, congruent retail offer, highly trained, efficient, people-loving staff. In episode 30, at the time of recording, the Pharmacy Guild of Australia had just welcomed a new executive director, Suzanne Greenwood, and she joined us to share not only her background that led her to the role of executive director of the Pharmacy Guild of Australia, but also her passion for community pharmacy and the opportunities for future growth within the industry. Well, I'm sure all the listeners are hoping that you've got some time now to catch your breath a little bit, and I know that you'd be excited about the work ahead of you in your new role. So finally... What would you say are your priorities for the year ahead with the Guild? Look, I think for me, success is going to be that I've really established that good working relationship, that there's a deep sense of trust and faith in me uh, to work with the National Council and to lead the Guild and uh, and so that the members, you know, the members really have that sense that, um, that, you know, they've got terrific support in here and they've got the faith in me to be the person to achieve that for them. Uh, at the moment, though, obviously, the big thing that's kind of on everyone's lips is the negotiation for the seventh community pharmacy agreement uh, that's kicked off. So uh, I'd like to think that that uh, lands on a, a very successful outcome. And uh, uh, and I'm sure with the passion of the people from the government that we're talking to and the passion of the, of the Guild members and in our negotiation team, that that will be a terrific result. And so I suppose, therefore, my other sort of objective in that time then is that we really have a, a stable organisation and that I've got a full understanding of all the various arms of the Guild. It's, uh, we seem to have lots of fingers in lots of pies with uh, Guild Super and Guild Insurance and all these other terrific ways that we support the members. So really uh, what that success for me is going to look like is are the members happy? We need to make sure that we've got them well supported and, uh, and uh, I'd like to think that I'm the person for that job for them. I, uh, I actually had the privilege when I was quite um, young, still a teenager, uh, that back then the Johnson & Johnson group of companies used to run a thing every year called the New Leaders Forum, 
where they used to bring uh, sort of youth together from all around Australia and and bring um, together sort of really inspiring speakers to sort of motivate us. And we had the opportunity with the New Leaders Forum to kind of write our own career mantra. And, and what we settled on was that we wanted leadership to be values-based, vision-driven and inspirational. And so that's always been my career mantra and I, and I believe that that's what I bring to the Guild in, uh, in how we'll be supporting the members here. In episode 31, we focused on building your career in community pharmacy and looked at some of the lesser known opportunities that are available within community pharmacy as we spoke with the roaming pharmacist, Liam Murphy. I think we should touch on this concept of the roaming pharmacist because that's what a lot of people know you as. That's where my research started. So can you tell the listeners what is the concept of the roaming pharmacist all about? So essentially... My first few years of pharmacy were a bit different and weren't really like anything that I'd been told about in uni. Uh, When I was studying at university, I was basically told you can either work in hospital, you can work in uh, community pharmacy, or you can work in industry. And they were kind of the three three channels that you could go down. Um, And and that you know was kind of about it for me. I I kind of went straight out and I studied something different. I went and locum for a little while. I went and travelled. Um, you know, I, I learned a second language and after a year away and traveling and, and coming back and doing some more locuming and traveling and, and landing the job in the snow, it, it kind of dawned on me that, you know, taking the obscure career path actually led me to a really good place. And I just kind of wanted to utilize my teaching experience and then, and, you know, let students know, uh, that, you know, there's more than just the three realms of pharmacy that they're told they can go into, um, which is, you know, hospital, community and industry. Locum pharmacy was something that opened a lot of doors for me. So I wanted to share that. Um, and a good friend of mine, Sam Turner, lined me up to go and talk at the NAPSA Congress um, and do a presentation there to, to talk a bit about my story. But I figured my story isn't always apl- applicable to everyone's career aspirations and goals. Um, so I ended up asking four of my friends that I had met a few years prior at the NAFSA Congress who had all gone down different paths of um, the pharmacy. So one was, you know, studying a doctorate in pharmacy. Um, one had done all different kinds of things and worked overseas and had managed pharmacies. One was a super successful hospital pharmacist and um, one of them was a young pharmacy owner. Um, and I thought I asked them if someone was wanting to follow in your footsteps like what's the best bits of advice that you could share with them to, to following that or to put their best foot forward. Um, from that, I kind of realized that I needed to conceptualize a brand around that talk. And that was kind of where the roaming pharmacist was born. Initially it became an ideas platform where I could, you know, there was a lot of things that I wanted to do and there was things that I wanted to say. Um, something, that I was passionate about at the time was um, the implementation of more harm minimization and in particular pill testing at festivals. That something to me with my travels and working in the places that I'd worked, you know, especially in a snow town, like drug use among, you know, friends and um, people that I was meeting in the communities was, you know, pretty widespread. And, you know, I learned that these weren't really bad people. They were just people that were wanting to experiment and, they were wanting to do different things and 
so it kind of became an, an issue of like, well, how do we just make this safer? How do we make it so, you know, that this is something that, that people can be more informed about? And the idea of pill testing at a festival, it's kind of like once you can open up the conversation about drugs, a lot of other, you know, taboo topics like mental health and sexual health, the stigma around them also falls down and you can have a really open conversation. At least that's what I found in my sort of professional practice. But yeah, that was like an angle that I wanted to take with the roaming pharmacist and, and sort of share that concept and idea. Um, and also like after a few months, um, my good friend Luke Frankovich joined me. Um, Luke was, you know, a NAPS, uh, sorry, a MIMS intern of the year. Um, a few years back and a really, really capable and motivated young pharmacist. Um, he approached me on one of my road trips up the East Coast when I stopped by and visited him and said, you know, he was, had the prospect of owning a pharmacy um, presented to him, but he also thought he wanted to maybe locum for a little while. So I, I lined him up with a locum stint and we ended up going and, and covering for my parents while they went away. And through through a range of conversations, we decided to join forces. Um, throughout the years, you know, we were both quite motivated and, and really wanted to take on the world with the thing. But, you know, life a little bit got in the way. Um, initially, it was sort of trying to use social media as a platform to spread messages and share ideas and share our journeys. And I feel like the more that time went, um, I realized that social media wasn't the preliminary platform that I wanted to be working on. I really enjoyed like face-to-face communication and, and just doing things, you know, with, with people in the communities that I was working with or with, you know, people in the pharmacy that I was meeting. But, you know, Luke brought in a set of ideas. He's currently now a, um, an owner of a pharmacy in Townsville. So he's, he's put the locum life on hold for a little bit, but I know he's got a lot of really good memories and um, experiences that have come from that. As far as going forward, uh, the roaming pharmacist is still a, an open book and, and you know, we're not sure where it's going to lead us and, and what it can be. Um, it's, yeah, we'll, we'll just sort of see what happens going forward. I've got a few ideas of where I might want to take it. Um, and, you know, if, if young students or pharmacists are interested in locum adventures or really want to sort of use their profession to, to make a difference in the community and, unique and inspiring ways like I'd encourage them to sort of reach out and get in contact and see if there's any ways we can use the platform to sort of build from there. In episode 32, the Pharmacy Guild of Australia, Max Ajizic, Pharmacy Assistant of the Year for 2019, Brianne Lowe. A double-barreled question for you. What is the most rewarding part of your role, do you think, and, and what do you really love about working in pharmacy? I'm really glad you asked this because it's my favourite question to answer. I honestly enjoy helping patients work towards positive health outcomes, giving them the whole service. I find it really rewarding and I get a kick out of knowing that I was useful today and I helped someone um, feel better about themselves. I also enjoy the constant progression and learning opportunities. There's always something new to learn in pharmacy and it keeps it very interesting. I do also love the teamwork side of things and and helping build up young pharmacy assistants and train them and support them to be the best that they can be. In episode 33, Libby Whitehead, Health Opportunities Pharmacist with the Guild Queensland branch, outlined why pharmacies should consider being involved in the Guild Corporate Vaccination Program. Libby, no doubt a lot of the feedback, as we just heard from Catherine, has been really positive, but nothing is perfect. So it would be great if you could share 
some of the common themes and points that you find in the feedback that you receive, both good and bad, or maybe constructive in the feedback? So I get feedback through a survey that we give to the HR manager of the department. They sort of send that out to whether it's the whole department, whether they use the program or not, or just the ones that used it. I get it from there. And I also get it directly from employees and HR managers when something usually something goes wrong. That's when I hear from them directly. Um, And also from the pharmacies. So in my business support team, we've got another five guys who go out and visit the stores and then they get a lot of on the ground feedback from the pharmacists who deliver the program. So employees feedback through them as well. So I guess the best feedback in a lot of the themes is that the program is a lot easier to use um, for the employees and past models because they sort of get to choose wherever they want to go, whenever they want to go. Um, And they're not limited to one day here or there. And if they miss out, it sort of can be a bit too bad, so sad. Um, I've had a lot of feedback that the pharmacists give a lot more detailed information about the vaccination process um, and what will happen after they've had the vaccination. And it's a little bit more one-on-one and less like you're lining up in a queue and you're just going to get jabbed like you were at school. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And in that, on that theme, like the program's a bit more private than in a workplace clinic. And I think it gives the employees a bit more of a chance to sit down with the pharmacist and talk about other things. I know I've seen a few where they'll then get the families to come in and get vaccinated as well. So it makes the whole vaccination process a bit more accessible and open. They're the main positive things. So some of the really great feedback I've had from pharmacies is that an employee has come into their pharmacy that never had been there before, didn't even know that the pharmacy was there. And then the first thing they can see on the dispensing history is that they had a vaccine back in 2017, say, and then from then on, they've become their pharmacy of choice. So it's meant that the patient or employee can access the pharmacy because it's probably close to work or home. And it means the pharmacy has got a long-term loyal customer out of it. So they're the really great feedback parts of it. Um, Some of the less positive feedback, um, and this comes through every year, is that the calendar availability in Gilcare hasn't been managed properly by the pharmacy. And so the employee will make a booking, turn up for their appointment, and the pharmacist isn't on. And this can be the case when there's like multiple pharmacists working in a pharmacy, but only one or two are actually qualified to vaccinate. So that's obviously really disappointing when we get that feedback. Um, The other feedback would be that they've made the appointment, turned up, and then had to wait like half an hour to get their vaccine. And I realise that this is a different model than what pharmacies are used to in that people make appointments. But that's what something we're working on with our pharmacies to do their sort of um, workflows a bit differently. Um, and the other one is like they'll turn up for their appointment and no one else in the pharmacy will have any idea about the program. So that can be a little bit frustrating as well because then they get turned away. Um, last bit of that is the employees get charged for the service. And this is kind of related to the staff not being overly aware of the program. Um, they then privately charge them. And then it's a bit of a pain in the bum for us to go back and work out who's going to refund them or if the department's going to reimburse them. So that's the worst of it. Um, Constructive feedback would probably just be everybody to really train all their staff members on the program um, and take advantage of the time that you have the person sitting in a room with you and talk about other bits and bobs um, that come up and work out a really streamlined workflow, especially if you're getting multiple vaccines and you've got a few different programs on the go. Um, They only have to be in the room for like five minutes with you when you vaccinate them and then you can move on and 
get onto other things. So that would be the main thing in that, I think. In episode 34, Mel Kettle, communication strategist, talked about connectedness and the important role it plays in leadership. You've given a great outline there at a meta level. So let's focus in because this podcast is all about community pharmacy. So why is connection so important for pharmacists in their day-to-day roles when they're leading teams and even serving their communities? So people do business with people they know, love and trust. And I can probably use that answer with every question. I'll warn you now. (laughs) Uh, And when you're working as a pharmacist or in a community pharmacy, trust within your community is essential, especially if there's competition in your community. So if you're the only pharmacy, then okay, people may not have a choice as to where they go to get the services you provide. But most communities have multiple pharmacies and multiple options that provide the services that pharmacies traditionally provide. So the more you can build trust, the more you can uh, understand and address the social isolation and the loneliness, and the more you can be aware of digital disruption, then the better you can serve your community. And what I mean by that is if you... um, you know, let's look at social isolation, for example, and loneliness. There's a significant impact that that has on the health sector and on the pharmaceutical sector in particular. Um, And if you can just be aware that there'll be people coming into your pharmacy who may not need anything, but they just want to come in and have a chat, what are the services you can provide to help address that? So maybe you've got time to have a chat with everybody who comes in at certain times of the day. Maybe you could start up um, some sort of a community group that meets in your pharmacy if you've got a spare room or if you've got a corner where you can have some social and some community-based activities that encourage community members to come together and to get to know each other more. Um, And it could be as simple as... Uh, come together and I'll talk to you about this activity that's happening or if it's Breast Cancer Awareness Week, let's get somebody in to talk about the importance of doing a self-check. If it's um, Blood Pressure Awareness Week, let's have a little activity, have a cup of tea, get to know other people and facilitate and, and encourage a conversation between members of your community. The other thing with pharmacists is pharmacists traditionally are a really integral part of the community and in regional and rural areas that it, it, that to me is quite obvious that they are but in cities pharmacies seem to be busier and busier and busier as so many people are but that community presence is often not there as much as it was even 10 years ago and so if they can think about how can we become how can we go back to becoming that centre of the healthcare world in our community where people come to us to get information before they might go to the doctor or before they might go to the emergency room at the hospital? Then that's what, for me, can be improved by improving the connection. In episode 35, John Thornett, Director at Peak Strategies Chartered Accountants, joined us to discuss how to prepare yourself to buy your first pharmacy. John, you are chock full of amazing advice for those looking at owning their own pharmacy. But if I had to put you on the spot as a final piece of advice, what do you think is the most important piece of advice that you can give to somebody considering pharmacy ownership? Get good advisors and get them early. Uh, I think that's the most most critical thing is uh, 
in in the, like a couple of years before when you think you're ready is get some good advisors around you, uh, do your networking, and really try to understand is this really for you? Uh, you keep in mind you, you don't have to do this at all. There's no one telling you need to do this. Get good advisors around you. Understand if this is really for you. Are you willing to accept the risk? Can you see the opportunities out there? But above all, just don't be too emotional about it all. Just be as level-headed and as objective as possible. That's probably the, the biggest advice I can give people. Just don't be emotional about it. Just be careful about what you're doing. The opportunities are there, but just be careful. That's a wrap for episode 37 and volume three of the best bits of the PBCN podcast. I've been your host, Daniel Oyson, and it's been fantastic having you join me to revisit some of the amazing stories and experiences, insights and advice with us. And once again, thank you to everybody who came on the show for these episodes. I know we're all truly grateful that you found some time in your busy schedules to come on the show. The Guild is dedicated to supporting members and the Community Pharmacy Network with tools, resources and information to assist business and career growth and improvement. For more information, contact your local Guild branch or visit the Guild website, guild.org.au. We are deep into planning for even more amazing guests for 2020 and I look forward to you joining us in the new year. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.